Hello and welcome to Tales from the Bay. Will Gavin, Nicholas McGee giving you the UK spin on the San Francisco 49ers. I should very specifically say the 11-4 San Francisco 49ers. One game out of the second seed on an eight-game winning streak off the back of that 37-20 victory over the Washington Commanders and two games away from some January playoff football. I'm so excited for the new year, for this playoff run, for where... Mr. Irrelevant himself can take us over this run. Go Niners. This is a really, really exciting time. Uh, Nicholas, how's your Christmas been? Did you get, was it all full of, uh, was it full of Niners swag for you? Uh, yeah, very good Christmas. Thank you very much, Phil. Um, yeah, there was a fair bit of it. Yeah, I've got a, um, a Niners LED light to my left, which uh, <laughs> my better half got me on with a couple of hats and I've got a mug with my uh, my my little girl wearing a Niners uh, shirt. We do um, ever since the game after the Chiefs, I started doing. If the Niners win, um, we get victory donuts when I have my day off with her on a Thursday, and they haven't lost since. So there's been a lot of victory donuts. So my wife got me a mug with her commemorating victory donuts and going away with a, a handful of Krispy Kreme. So that's uh, I count that on the Niners presents as well, which I'm looking at right now. Love it. Absolutely love it. I actually had a lack of Niners gear, uh, very disappointingly. So I'm sorry I haven't got anything to flash off and show you. But uh, uh, I will. Uh, <laughs> I did see a lot of people getting those little like Lego stadium sets and immediately go and Google about buying one for uh, for Levi's and whether or not there was one of Candlestick as well. Uh, and so <laughs> there, I might be getting some of my own swag. Uh, in the the not-too-distant. The Boxing Day sales hitting them hardest. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Uh, Right, we're going to be on the show today, obviously looking back at that victory over the Washington Commanders. Uh, Looking forward to week 17. It is, uh, we're at the Las Vegas Raiders uh, on Sunday night, a game you can hear live with myself over on Talk Sport 2, uh, and looks, begin to look forward to January and beyond, as well as looking at the rest of the NFC. Uh, let's start off with that Commander's victory. Half time, seven apiece. It had been pretty attritional up until that point. That Washington defensive line, absolutely no joke. And then in the second half, it felt like, and I'm sorry, Carson Wentz, to borrow your phrase, but the, the 49ers really took command. <laughs> yeah, I I quite enjoyed this um, just as a test, to be honest. Um, looking back on it, I'm watching the tape. It was even the first half was better than I thought it was going to be. Um, I think what it was is it was a reminder to them in the first two quarters of the level they need to be at in the playoffs if they're going to go all the way. Because they didn't do a lot wrong in the first half. They probably still had much the better of it, but there was. An interception off John Jennings' hands that he really should have caught. There was a red zone possession when he got turned over on fourth down, which with a pretty questionable call to run the speed option with Kyle Juszczyk, which didn't, which has worked before in the past, but didn't work. Then Washington defended it well. And then there's a few excellent plays by Taylor Heineke on third down, and all of a sudden you're seven seven. And then so that was a reminder of where the level needs to be. Like, even a few mistakes can put you in a, a bit of trouble against a decent team. In the second half, they came out and boy, did they play at that level and probably then some. They were absolutely phenomenal in the second half on both sides of the ball. And I can't say enough about, about the defence and that defensive line and just how dominant they are, how much depth they've got now with Javon Kinlaw coming back. And they're just getting production out of practice squad players left and right. Playing, there was a player, Michael Drumford, who signed, who signed in 
in midweek and he came in and played 20 odd snaps and was very effective. We've got Akeem Spence coming in, T.Y. McGill, who decided for the Vikings practice squad early in the season, playing really well. It's just phenomenal how they're able to dominate on the defensive line, regardless of who's on there. And that was my probably big takeaway from that second half. There are a couple of things that really stood out to me. Obviously, you went through that first half. There was the turnover on downs, which I wasn't too sure on the play call on. You had the three and outs. You had, obviously, the touchdown, which was the one big play on the touchdown. But they did tee it up really nicely. It was good play calling on that. The interception, which was on, really, Juwan Jennings much more than it was on Brock Purdy. and But it meant that you did have, with the fact that that defensive line were getting pressure, they were stopping the run, they were slowing down what the 49ers like to do. Chase Young, on his return to the team, looked absolutely sensational for the commanders. And you kind of got in at the half as like a... Right, 7-7, it's not the end of the world. There was a few mistakes in there. And I just thought the way that they managed to bounce back in the second half, going on that early touchdown drive and then never really looking back from there. And, all right, it was a little disappointing maybe to only come away. Like, this could have been a 50-burger in this game with the turnovers that they got. And Taylor Heineke played the most Taylor Heineke game ever, just almost in reverse of what we've seen from him in the past. In the past, he tends to make those mistakes early and then come up clutch late in the game and make some big throws that look good on the highlights and people go, wow, this guy can really play. This time he did it kind of the opposite way around, had some big throws, as you said, at big third downs in that first half. And then... The three turnovers in the second half, just settling for field goals really was the only letdown for me. The fact that there wasn't a bit better uh, conversion in Washington territory in the red zone uh, when it mattered. I mean, I guess you could argue that they got what they needed to get out of the game. They didn't take a necessary risk, and that's a good thing. But I think against better opposition in the playoffs, if you get those opportunities, you're going to need to come away with seven against the Eagles if you get a chance like that, or the Cowboys, because you know they're going to come back and score. So that was really the only thing to me that that kind of caught my eye was maybe the lack of efficiency when it got into those areas. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think... It was a really good win in that it, it, they played very, very well, but they came away with areas to work on. Like, and this, when they came out in the second half, you, really, you watch it back, it's like they, they had the, the bit of nonsense in the first half, and it's like they came out and said, right, on both sides of the ball, enough of this, and scored scored really quickly. Defence took over. Kyle Shanahan in the second half did a really good job of exploiting the commander's zone coverage, which you expected to do as kind of the league's permanent play call. They were putting Kittle and Ben and Ayuk in wide open space to run into and they did an excellent job of running into it and kind of making sure it was never never really going to get away from them. They never looked like they were going to lose it or let, or let, let the commanders back into the game. But like you said, the red zone, it has been an issue earlier in the season and it was again, it was again there. So I think it was, there was nothing particularly like an overarching failure. It was just the odd little issue of, of execution. There's occasional false starts. Mike McGlinchey, who attracts the IO of Fortnite's Twitter a lot, but is playing well through broken ribs. So it's just a little things here and there that they need to clean up. And maybe on the defensive side, you saw that cornerback group get tested um, by a very talented um, receiving core. Like Commander's House, so you have a little bit of concern there about the cornerback depth fifth, Javarius Ward, who was ill in the second half, I believe, um, has any, issue, any, further, any further issues with health. But those were the two things that stood out to me. So I think 
you come away really encouraged that they came through a decent test from a good team that could still make the playoffs and you still have the areas to work on so there's no room for complacency there and you still have something to aim for with at least the second seed first seed is ambitious it's still technically on the car in within the realms of possibility but you still have something to aim for and you have stuff to work on so I think Carl Shanahan would be quietly very pleased with how that went I think uh, you mentioned that secondary depth the uh, touchdown which eventually ended up with Terry McLaurin but also the deep pass to McLaurin the 51 yarder after we saw uh, after we saw um, Traveris Ward go out of the game. Sam Womack's a guy who in pre-season looked very good playing in that nickelback position, playing in the slot. Had some inceptions, played well in coverage. Um, he's had he's contributed excellently on special teams this year, had a couple of real standout plays, but just as a gunner in general and just has been kind of week to week had impact you know this you can't ask for much more out of a of a later round rookie than than that but he is exposed when he's when he's forced to play as an outside receiver outside corner and you know when he's forced to be the number 2 even the number 3 in that system and it's interesting you know Demo Lenore is someone who I had some doubts about going into this year and I think has really really stepped up in year, what, year three for him? Year two for him now, blimey. It feel, feels like he's a third-year guy, only a second-year guy, fifth-round pick, taken in the same round as Talanoa Hufunga. You know, Thomas Abry can come in, Ambry can come in and help out on, Ambry Thomas even can come in and help out, you know, down to down. But it does feel like when it's not Ward and Lenore, that is an area that I have some concerns. Absolutely. And if you're going to go into the NFC playoffs, and I'm assuming... You'd expect them to get through the first round, you never know, but if we're going to go to these tougher tests where you're playing the, the Vikings, who've got Phelan and Jefferson, or you're playing the Eagles, who've got Devontae Smith and AJ Brown and Dallas Goddard, and the list, the list goes on, you're going to need that solid cornerback play more often. So that they, they have the insurance, and they had Bosley, and then they had Jason Verrett, and then they both go down, and once again, you left. It's a similar kind of situation to last year where you're clinging on to hoping a few guys stay healthy before it becomes a real, real issue. If Traverius Warden... Debo and Honor are both healthy, then yeah, the, the secondary continues to play very well. But it's just it, whenever one of them goes out, you can see it creaking, and the teams that have those that talent receiver can take advantage. And look, there's some real possibility that we see this game again third weekend of January. Like there is, this is one of those teams that will break down the rest of the NFC coming up shortly, but there's every chance this could be the game again. And, and it's not a game that I necessarily fear. Uh, after watching what we saw this weekend, even though they had a very, very good uh, first half. Yeah, um, Jimmy Ward playing out of that slot, the, the way he's moved over from safety, getting the interception. And you mentioned it already, but the defensive line, we'll get on to Bosa in a moment, who just absolutely wrecked shop again and now leads the the, the sack uh, the sack totals on the season by a couple on the rest of the field and, and has at least Alden Smith's 19 and a half total in his sights over these last two games. But it was those those rotational guys, Javon Kinlaw getting back into the side and what he played about 16 snaps and seemed to absolutely mm-hmm. be in the backfield on every single one of them. Eric Armstead coming in and, and really, you know, this was a side that, lost Kevin Givens for this game, Kerry Hyder for this game, Drake Jackson for this game, all people who have contributed. And it was one of the, I thought it was one of the issues in the first half was being thinner at defensive line against a decent Washington offensive line early doors. I thought they had the bit of the beating of us, but they just, despite being thinner at the position, having less rotation, Jordan Willis made plays. Uh, Charles Amenihu comes in to make plays. Like it just really shows that, the depth there is is so incredible. And 
we're still yet to allow a 60-yard rusher this season. So as much as just getting pressure on the quarterback is impressive, having the highest season total for any running back being, what, 59 yards, I think, is just sensational. Yeah, and it's really a tribute to, we all bemoan the preseason and its length and how boring it is. The two guys you've got there in McGill and Drumfall were signed off the Vikings and the Texans, two teams they played in preseason. So they scouted the opponents, they played in preseason, signed these guys that got cut by those respective teams, and in week 16 of the NFL season, again, they need to keep keep themselves in the in the reckoning for the second seed. They come in and they both make a difference. And you're right, they, the run game was just completely shut down. Um, Brian Robinson do has had a really memorable season for ver- for various reasons because could not get anything going and Eric Armstead has, has really unlocked like the, the another dimension to his pass rush for coming back and giving him that interior rush. I, I, and then when they have No 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 absolutely agreeing. I'm I just thinking kind of out loud a little bit here. Not a kind of prepared point on my part or something I've really thought about, but I do think back to early parts of the season when the Bears obviously gave us trouble, but that was uh, a, a weather-beaten game. The Falcons gave us some trouble with a very movable quarterback. The Chiefs gave us some trouble with a very movable quarterback. And in this, that Falcons game, the defense was very thin, and they were only just coming back healthy for that Chiefs game. I think that can take a lot of the blame. But I can't. I, I'm trying to think of when we faced a really good mobile quarterback since those first couple of weeks of the season. And that's that's maybe the area that I'm I'm not I don't have concern yeah. about, but I'm intrigued oh. about when we face any of Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott, these guys in the playoffs potentially who who can get outside the pocket more, who can make plays with their legs and add that extra threat in there. Hundred percent, and even if in a first round matchup, maybe like a Daniel Jones or something, who can move when he needs to. We saw that in London when they played the Packers. We've seen that a lot throughout the season. Um yeah, I agree, agree. It's always been one area where they've kind of had issues in the past is that they have the option game with the quarterback, kind of the zone readers has given, you'd see Bosa crash down and all of a sudden the quarterback 20 yards downfield with the ball still in his hands. They've had those issues in the past. It'll be interesting because they had issues earlier in the season with the screen game, particularly against the Chiefs and then against the, in the first half of the Rams game before they completely took over, they had issues with the screen game. And ever since then, they have completely shut down every opponent's screen game. So it'd be interesting having having had issues with like the zone read game in the past, whether they can be able to take that away if when they face a Prescott or a Hurts. Um, and the evidence from last year says that it can because Prescott, although he wasn't fully healthy, didn't really have much impact as a runner um, last year in that playoff game. So it'd be interesting to see if they can take that away as they've taken away something else that was giving them problems early in the season. Ray Ray goes in jet sweep motion, orbit motion. They give it to him on a handoff back. Turns the corner down the sideline. He's gone. 40, 30, 20, 10, 5, touchdown. It's not me making a play, honestly. It was the line, man. The front. Christian making his blocking. Uh, Mike pancaking his dude. Willie Sneed sealing the edge. And uh, I think anybody in that position of getting that ball uh, would have made the same play. Uh, and we put points on the board. We're already in the playoffs. Uh, you, you have to play football the right way. You have to practice the right way. And um, you want to do that every single week. And I also, we did, we went over a lot of Seattle stuff where the game seemed well, but it came down to one score. And it was because we did make a number of mistakes. And I think we still can get a lot better. And the only way you get better is by practicing and playing. And the goal today was to go out there and get a win. Um, but also, it's always an opportunity to make your team stronger. And regardless of what happens, I think we did make it stronger. And if we can continue doing that, I think we'll be a better team in the playoffs. It was an exciting day for the 49ers organization as friends from across the pond visited Levi's Stadium. 
a group of UK faithful traveled to the Bay Area to cheer on the 49ers at a home game and got a behind the scenes tour of Levi's Stadium. For some of the fans, it was their very first time being inside an NFL stadium. It really hit me then, I was actually here and actually going to see them play for the first time. You know, I've never seen them at their stadium before, so yeah, it was just a dream come true. I've never been to the States before. I've seen the 49ers play in the UK, but this is the first time I've had been lucky enough to see them. Uh, yes, I, I love it. I did love Candlestick Park as well. Overall, the faithful enjoyed a fun-filled day full of exploration and exclusive photo opportunities. And the fans living internationally could better get to know the team that they cheer for overseas. So finally, just thoughts on Brock Purdy from this game, because that has to be basically a section all of itself, the Purdy Watch section of the show. Um, you know, overcoming the adversity of the first half, as I already referenced, I think is massive yeah. for me. I think that is something we haven't had him see, seen, had to see him face too much of, you know, his two big turnovers so far, both have been overturned by penalties prior to this oh. week. You know, two key moment turnovers. I know he has had the one other interception, but... I thought he bounced back really well from that. And I think I just, everything I see on film, if you were to show the film of the last three or four weeks to somebody who didn't know he was a seventh round pick, I would suggest that Brock Purdy looks like at least a, a second day pick, at least. If not, a guy you've taken in the first round who could be a bit, you know, maybe isn't traitsy, maybe doesn't have the high end, but does have the, the the college tape on his side, kind of in that same frame of, say, like Mac Jones from last year. He's, uh, I just, I feel like we've, I'm repeating myself, but the way that he reads the defense, the way that he reacts to pressure, the way that he gets the ball out quickly when he needs yeah. to, and with decent twitch and with much better arm strength than I think have been advertised, I, just, I I'm, just, I'm I'm falling in love with the man, Nicholas. I'm not going to lie. He, as you said, was the last pick in the draft, and he is clearly, in my eyes, the best quarterback that was taken. I think mean, I mean, it's. I don't care about sample size at this stage. I've seen I've seen enough of Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis, who've got a much bigger sample size, to know that he's better than both of them at this, at this stage in their career. He's outplayed every single quarterback in that class. Um, key point for me was the third one you made um, when the ball comes out. The timing has been excellent. Um, particularly in this game with George Kittle, the ball is coming out the second George Kittle gets into his break and it arrives on time every single time and sets George Kittle up for excellent yards after the catch, which we all know George Kittle, who looks the healthiest he's been in a long, long time, which should be very, very worrying news for any playoff opponents. He's getting the ball too. I, I, I was astonished. Eight touchdowns is the most he's yeah. ever had in a yeah. season. Uh, that is... that. That that sounds like a stat that you've made up, but honestly, that was amazing to me. No, because yeah, he had the the, the twenty eighteen season where he was the main target, but he was in the, in essence getting them down the field and not getting the targets in the red zone. So he he racked up the all time yardage record, which was eventually broken by Kelsey, but didn't really get the the touchdowns to go with it. Um, I think seven was the record for him before that. And yeah, so he's it's just he's got an excellent rapport with one of the most dangerous weapons who looks. Like the best he's ever been for a good, good few years. He looks like he's overcome all his injuries. And like you said, the pressure he can. It, I really enjoyed the. It didn't result in, in any kind of completion, but the little spin move he tried to put on the uh, the defender when he's breaking out to his left. He tried to stutter step and then spin and deliver on the move. It, the second reaction plays, although he needs to calm down with stuff like that when the more meaningful games in the postseason are something that are a real asset compared to what Garoppolo, who for all his always. 
his positive traits can't really do that. He's definitely obviously a better athlete than Garoppolo, so that gives them a little extra dimension as well. And yeah, like you say, the the deep arm looks a lot better than advertised. Like he did clearly, it's just, I've compared him already to Tua Tungabolo, which he really, isn't really the right time to compare him to Tua Tungabolo, given what's happening in Miami. But it is kind of the same kind of thing in that he, so he didn't have the strongest arm, but yeah, the deep ball to Kittle that should have gone to McLeod because Kittle freelanced and ran his own route was perfectly accurate and would have been complete if it had gone to McLeod anyway. It's just, yeah, it's it, he finds a way to get it delivered perfectly and it's 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 tough to discount anything that he's doing at the minute. He can throw a sample size at us again, but the more he, <laughs> with every week, it's just saying it's the more he does this, the more you just have to accept this is who he is. You were right about the timing as well. The timing's been excellent. There was the deep shot to Ayuk as well, where uh, he had the the uh, lovely route where he cut out on that post, and and that was really you know perfect timing again. You want to see maybe a little more anticipation, like you said about him throwing it on that kill the moment that he yeah. broke. It's not that he's not done well with it so far, but you want to see those throws where they're throwing it pre-break because they know the guy's going to go yeah. there. But there's not a lot of first, second, third-year quarterbacks who are throw- making those throws full yeah. stop. So, you know, this is me talking ideal world situation here. If we're talking like that and not talking about how we can protect him in a system and how we can look after him, I think that shows just how much even we consider his upside to be 100%. There. And even when he's not accurate, there was a third down throw to Juwan Jennings um, that was kind of well behind Jennings but it was still he still managed to drive it really really well and it was when the pocket was kind of collapsing a little bit he didn't have much of a platform to step into it but he still drove the ball really well to get it beyond the defender so even when he's not completely accurate he's doing enough to make sure his receivers are having a chance you saw that again on the fourth down um, completion to Kittle at the end of the game the same kind of deal wasn't fully accurate but it came in there with more zip than people expect from him and he's just finding a way to get it done even if it's not always 100% perfect now, uh, let's take a quick look at the rest of the NFC. There is a fascinating situation developing that this past weekend, essentially everything that needed to happen for the Green Bay Packers to stay alive in the playoffs did. Washington lost, the Lions lost, uh, the, uh, I try to remember what the other things they needed to happen were at this point, but uh, the Giants lost with that last second field goal. Like they, they just they had everything go their way that they needed to go their way this weekend. Um, oh, and the Seahawks, of course, yeah. lost as well. Everything went their way they needed to go away. They beat the Dolphins, but they beat the Dolphins on what may now seem to be it was thanks to the three turnovers. Oh. And you know, we now know that those were likely concussion affected yeah. turnovers, and that's certainly what Tua, I don't know about you, but the the difference in the first half to the second half. If you were to tell tell me that that came down to concussion, that would not be a surprise at all because he just wasn't seeing the field properly, was making terrible errant throws, just real mistake heavy. I feel like Packers fans have kind of set themselves up for almost a bit of a fall with how good this week was. The Giants have to lose out, which is, I mean, it's absolutely possible, but I thought they probably, they would have beaten the Vikings this past weekend if it hadn't been for drops and obviously just... Uh, you know, someone converts a 61 yarder. I guess what you're there relying on to win out is that the the Eagles rest their week 18 starters, but they've got the Colts this week. Like that's a game they should win, mm-hmm. and that should really put the Packers out of yeah. contention already. Yeah. They need Washington to lose one of two. Which, when I look at what their setup is for the rest of the season, again they're relying a little bit on the Cowboys resting in week 18 for that yeah. for for that to not happen. Like. 
the Browns this week, maybe that's a loss, but I, I, they weren't great in the cold. It was just one of those weird games. And then they themselves have to play the Vikings and the Lions, who are both still playing for seeding and one for playoff contention. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Have you seen enough from the Packers to suggest that they're a playoff team? No, I don't think so. And I agree with you that the second half of that Miami game was, was just a Miami meltdown. And who knows what that was brought on by in terms of Tua's um, health status. I think they've, they've they've definitely improved from where they were. The offense, I uh, know Christian Watson's been banged up recently, but obviously he's been nerfed as kind of a gem. And when they have Watson and, and Romeo Dobbs on the field at the same time, that passing game looks a lot better. And Rodgers can still do occasionally do Aaron Rodgers things, but... Yeah, I'm not sure I buy it, <laughs> to be honest. The, the run defense is still a huge problem. Quay Walker, the linebacker, has been playing better of late. Um, and obviously, you've seen that the secondary can still make plays. Jair, Jair Alexander with his uh, fantastic post game interview with Pam Oliver, which I really enjoyed. Um, but yeah, um, they still don't have. It, we, the thing that, could, that was a downfall in 2019 and the thing that was a downfall in 2020 would. St- and in 2021 would still be the downfall in 2022 because it's not it's not got any better. They're still a, a really porous team against the run, and you'd be going into an SC playoffs where you've got the Eagles with Jalen Hurts and arguably the most diverse run game in the NFL, and you've got the Cowboys who've, who've found something with Paul and Elliott, and Dak can run the ball, and you've got the Niners who suddenly have Christian McCaffrey and have been the best offense in the league since Christian McCaffrey arrived. So there's no way that... Despite being on a third-string quarterback. Despite being on a third-string quarterback. So there's no way for me that that defense is set up for success regardless of what Aaron Rodgers can do. And yeah, Sunday, I think they've got the Vikings this Sunday. That's going to be interesting. I need more of a catchy name, but it's kind of a, a game between team two teams I have no faith in whatsoever. So it's kind of battle for our faith a little bit. And I kind of think the Vikings will win it and yet still win nobody's faith in a weird kind of way. Just, uh, um because yeah, I, I've, I I feel for the Packers. I was messaging with our good friend Ollie Hunter, who does the Gridiron Show with us, who's a big Packers fan. Who um, he beat me in one of our fantasy semi-finals this past weekend, and actually is facing me in the final in another league. <laughs> uh, he had a brilliant weekend in fantasy. He ended up reaching all three finals that he was vying for, oh. and he messaged saying, "I'd give up all three. I'd lose all three finals if I knew." If if uh, it was it if the pack win out and Washington drop a game so we can make the playoffs and I just replied to him saying you realize if you win out that means you beat the Vikings yeah. which means the likelihood is that you have to come to Levi's mm-hmm. the first week of the playoffs it's like death taxes the 49ers beating the Aaron Rodgers Packers <laughs> in January that that it is even in the worst playoff game I think I've seen us play mm-hmm. of the last four or five times we've qualified over the last decade twelve years or so. Mm-hmm. We still somehow managed to beat the Packers thanks to that absolute special teams nightmare that they had. Yeah. I do I like I I would feel confident if we can get the second seed, I would feel confident against any of Washington, New York, or Green Bay. I think the likelihood is it ends up probably being Washington again, mm-hmm. but it could easily be New York. I just think I'd be surprised if if the if the Packers do sneak in. Yeah, I I as much as I'm not convinced by the Vikings, I don't see them beating the Vikings. Like I said, the Vikings can, can turn on a really good running game with Dalvin Cook, and then you've got it can open up, up the play action game to Jefferson, and yeah, suddenly you're in a, you're in a massive hole. And I don't think the, the Green Bay offense has got enough if the Vikings get a lead to, to, to keep up with them if the Vikings are rolling like they are. Even as, as unconvincing as the Vikings have been, I think the, at this stage it's clear that all the matchups favor the Vikings at this point. Um, yeah, uh, if I was a Packers fan, I'd probably be a little bit annoyed by this playoff run, to be honest, as, ex- as exciting as it, as, it, as it may be in the end to get there. I think you you line yourself up for a one and done, um, very famous last words, but I think you might have been better off. 
<laughs> you might have been better off um, kind of not winning as many games and maybe putting yourself in position to be close to the top 10 of a really, really good draft and getting maybe a defensive player that can finally fix that defence or, or go some way to fixing it might have been better long-term. And if you if that had come with a few good offensive performances but more defeats, that probably might have been a better outcome for them long-term. And let me ask you what you saw in Dallas's win over the Eagles, forty to thirty-four. It kept their race for the uh, for the number two seed alive. It kept their race even for the for the NFC East alive. They're still relying on the Eagles losing out, but it keeps them in that one. You know, Gardner Minshew ends up absolutely putting on an offensive performance against a defense that a lot of people thought to be one of the best in the NFL. But but what did you see from this game ahead of these two teams being potential playoff matchups for, for San Francisco? As much as I want the Niners to stay in the one seed and being sorry to be in stay in the mix for the one seed and have and was in the weird position of wanting the Cowboys to win, I was very, very ready for the discourse about Mike McCarthy um, settling for the field goal there at the end rather than rather than going to kill the game off and if the Eagles won at the end, I was all ready for the meltdown that would have been the entire week on every talk show going. Um, yeah, I just want to see them again. <laughs> I want to see them with both quarterbacks healthy. <laughs> we have not seen it because we saw it as much as Minshew played well. We saw him with a quarterback who was throwing up so many 50-50 balls in that game. And in the end, you, you saw that Deron Bland did an outstanding job of picking off from those 50-50 balls to kind of tilt the game in Dallas's favour. So I just really want to see what it looks like with both quarterbacks healthy because I don't know how you can come away from this and be convinced by the Cowboys after they gave up 34 points to to Gardner Minshew, who was a high-end backup, but still a backup quarterback, who was giving them a lot of interceptable ball. Was... <laughs> it, it, for, for me, it, it was a really weird game to... Yeah, to... it was a very strange game. To, to rate Dallas's defense, because first of all, I mean, going out to that ten nothing lead, of course, came with the the Josh Sweat interception return, the pick six. So that's you know some of those points not coming against the defense. <laughs> they found themselves you know, every time they like clawed their way back into the game. It felt like it was because of a takeaway. They finished with four turnovers in total. They had that key fumble recovery. They did give up a lot of yardage, but you look then on the ground, Miles Sanders was held to just 3.1 yards per carry and the, the running defense is meant to be Dallas's weakness. So I'm like, I feel like it's one of those games where you could talk yourself into the narrative you want to believe yeah. rather than there being a very clear narrative coming out of the game. Yeah, and yeah, you, you're right because they made the, they produce takeaways, which is what the Dallas defense does, particularly in the second, what they've been secondary, what they've been known for with, with Trayvon Diggs' ridiculous seasons had in the past. But they, the kind of the boom bust nature of that secondary was again exposed because the Eagles have got two of the best receivers in the NFL, and AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, and Devontae Smith's been playing incredible football for the, for the past few weeks and did so again in this game. Um, but by the same token, you've got the Dallas offense, which were when Dak was unleashing bomb after bomb to CD Lamb. You think, well, if they get if they play like this, how do you stop them? So there, there's so many enigmas in this NFC, um, and I feel like the only team that isn't really an enigma at this point is the Niners. And that's not saying that the Niners are definitely the best team. I just feel like the Niners are the team where you know what they are and you know what level you're going to get from them most weeks. So I don't, not sure you know that even with the Eagles, just because of the the Hurts injury has kind of thrown that into the wash a little bit. So you don't know where they are respective to the Cowboys. Um, so that's why I, I want to see this again. <laughs> that's it, yeah, the most so the most likely I'm just figuring out the most likely route to that happening is cow, the Cowboys don't close the division, so they end up in the five seed regardless yeah. because of yeah. their because of not winning the division. Mm. Then 
if the 49ers Vikings and then the Cowboys beat the Bucks, then we're in a situation where we get that game yeah. in the divisional round. Yeah. That will definitely be the Sunday late game. There's no yeah. way they don't put that anywhere, but on the most prime of prime time positions. Yeah, I'm here for it. And also it means that if we were to qualify for the NFC championship game, and there's obviously big ifs and there's a lot to get to there. You know, I would like the idea that those two have beat up on each other the week before. Mm-hmm rather than the Bucks scraping past the Cowboys because the Cowboys poop the bed in standard Cowboys fashion and then the Eagles just get to decimate them and probably rest starts by the time they get to the second half. I honestly think if the Eagles welcomed the Bucks into uh, into their stadium for... Good Lord. <laughs> in the divisional <laughs> round, I honestly think it, there might it, you, you might have to set the line at, you know, 18 and a half points. I, I think, I, like... You can black that. You can black that game out for me. And just, just send, just send me the tape. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I just, it sounds so ugly. And the, the Bucks again this weekend. I mean, why they refuse to run the hurry up until the last four to six minutes of a of a game makes no sense to me. Considering it's the only time their offense makes sense. And I know it feels weird running it from moment one and you want to be able to manage the clock and keep your defense off the field and all that other important stuff in the NFL. But Christ, they look so bad except when they're running the hurry up. Yeah. There's the um, the uh, Nick Saban philosophy. I think it was on the Manning cast he did last year. Where I think the Eagles were playing the Cowboys for long enough. He was he was on there and he was they were talking about no huddle. He said, I don't know why teams ever huddle. Like and then the Eagles then the Eagles went no huddle and then they scored a touchdown. So it was kind of like same vindicated there and then I think Warren Sharp shared the clip. Um yeah, it, particularly when you've got Brady whose body might not be working as well as it once was and for God's sake, of course it is, and he's forty five and he's taken so much punishment over the years and just keeps is a, is a glutton for it. But his mind is he's still one of the quickest thinking quarterbacks of all time and he's still probably the sharpest mind of any quarterback in the league. So going no huddle no huddle probably plays to his strengths at this at this stage in his career, as long as he's he's got the, the cardiovascular fitness to constantly go no huddle, then I don't see why he wouldn't play wouldn't lean into that as much as possible. Because he obviously limits the opportunities for the defence to substitute and he takes advantage of probably your quarterback's best trait at this stage. I mean he's still got a decent arm, but his best trait at this best trait at this stage of his career is his, is his arm. So I just, I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't get it. I don't understand what Todd Bowles isn't seeing. I think Todd Bowles uh, see, continues to not see things. We might not be seeing Todd Bowles on the sidelines come 2023. Right, I, I held off, we're going to talk about the Raiders game coming up, but I held off talking about one player when we did our recap of the uh, of the Washington game because I wanted to ask a more general question on it. Uh, George Kittle referred to this after the game this past weekend. I think a lot of uh, journalists, a lot of national guys, a lot of TV guys referred to this after the game this weekend, but Nick Bosa, mm-hmm. defensive player of the year, question mark? Uh, you can remove the question mark for me. Uh, I think it's. I think this is a, that was a, this was a weekend. It, it went away. Um, probably the biggest test in a while that we built that we built out before, and he just made it look so easy. Um, yeah, there's. It was destructive. Um, <laughs> my word was it destructive, but particularly in the pass rushing, it's how easy it looks. It's how it in, he looks very in control of, of, of everything. And for somebody who's giving so much devastation to opposing backfield, it's often just how he, just how seamless it looks. Like the, the hand usage and it's it's a split second. He just swats the hands away and he bends his body in a miraculous fashion and gets himself in a straight line to the quarterback and then just unleashes devastation. And I don't think I've, there's any player in the NFL that can match him for consistency of just 
game wrecking plays and making them look so easy for Nick Bosa. And I mean, all credit to Michael Parsons for another outstanding season, but it's the consistency of impact is not there compared to what Bosa. And even when Bosa isn't getting home, you watch it, he's still winning pass rush after pass rush. He did that against Seattle. He was just winning rush after rush after rush, drawing holding calls, making quarterbacks make quick decisions, which is what the Niners do at the end of the day. They make force quarterbacks to get the ball out and allow Fred Warner and company to rally to the football. And they can do that primarily because of Nick Bowes, the wrecking shop up front. And he was also just an absolute machine against the run in this game as well. Just come. Just the, the commanders continue to block him with tight ends, and I have no idea why. Because there's no at no point in the history of Nick Bosa's career has blocking with a tight end in the run game ever ever worked. And it just it just did it in this game, and he just made it look so easy. And I think yeah, this was it was a it was a crowning game. And hopefully, over the next couple of weeks, he gets the the sack record for Morgan Smith, which I think he will, because the Raiders and the Cardinals' offensive line at this point are just immense. Me, they're. they're playing out the string, the pair of them effectively, the Raiders have lost the Steelers. So I don't think either offensive line will be up for that. Um, hopefully when the situation where we might even run a pitch count against the Cardinals, you never know, just to, to keep him healthy for the playoffs. But I think, yeah, you're going to see him get that record. And regardless of whether the Niners are at the, are at the Super Bowl um, come February, you'll just probably see Nick Post with a trophy in his hand of some description in February in Arizona when they have the, uh, the NFL honor ceremony because he's absolutely earned it. It is astonishing. I mean, most sacks in the NFL, 17 and a half. Uh, most quarterback hits now up to 42 after this past weekend. He, I know he was seconding quarterback pressures going into this weekend. I was just quickly trying to look that up, but I wouldn't be that surprised if after this past weekend. Uh, oh, that is it. So Parsons has one pressure more than Bosa. Mm. Bosa, yeah. after this past weekend, has 70 pressures on the season. Parsons has just the one more. That's astonishing. Uh, numbers. I, I think he's at a point now where you have to, 12 quarterback pressures in a game this weekend. 12 in a game where actually in the first half they protected their quarterback pretty well. That is absolutely astonishing. Yeah, uh, you know, Mika Parsons obviously deserves some love for this. It's a week where yeah, you know, JJ uh, Watt, who won this award three times and is headed for the Hall of Fame, probably as a first ballot guy, announced he's retiring at the end of the season. This has been a special year for Nick Bosa, and, and you kind of expect him to continue on like this beyond this. And the, the next question, Mark, is, is is his contract because there was kind of this uh, this feeling that you know I, there was a lot of talk going into the year of how they would sort out. Bosa's contract and Debo Samuel's contract, they only end up doing the one of the two. And now you're in a situation where you're going to have to pay Nick Bosa a hell of a lot of money. Yeah, it's good. Um, I think it was good foresight in the end by Pragmaraf and uh, the, the guys in the brass of the, in the Niners front office that handled that kind of thing, just to recognize that the they understand what they've got in Bosa and that his, his price is likely going to continue to go up, but that now that we're out of the COVID pandemic, thankfully, that the, the, the league salary cap is back to a situation where it's going to continue to go up. Um, they're not going to be in the top half of the, in the, the NFL in, in salary in salary cap space, but they're not going to have the Garoppolo contract on their books anymore. So they're going to have more wiggle room to kind of work that out. And they're a team that's that's famous for kind of backloading their contracts. And I think it'll, <laughs> we go through this every single year. If we've, got, we've gone through it with, with Kittle, with Fred Warner, with Debo. It'll be dragged out. It'll be complaints on Twitter about why it's not done yet, but the Niners just wait and wait and wait until they until it gets to kind of the moment where you kind of get nervous and then the deal gets done and it'll be a massive deal. It'll be the, the richest undisputably the richest one in de- for a defensive player in the NFL. But it'll be 
heavily backloaded um, to to he'll he'll get his money obviously in in guaranteed guarantee money. There's no doubt about that. The, the structure will be the same. That a lot of the money will be at the, the latter end of the contract, um, but it will undisputed be the richest one for a defensive player in the NFL. I have no doubt about that. Yeah, I am. Um... Yeah, you give the Garoppolo money to him, and then the rest on top, probably. And that does that. That it does help that they're going to be uh, running two rookie quarterbacks at one and yeah. two next season, whichever way round they do them. And I know there's been some talk about right. Do you try and go trade? Trade? You try and go trade Brock Purdy? I think you sit with those two rookies, and you essentially either let Brock Purdy be a bridge to Trey Lance if you still believe that that upside is worth developing, or you 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 keep Trey Lance in the building, you see what you've got there, and then when he gets his chance, he can prove himself. Like the offense is still very friendly to him. He still has an incredible upside. There is still a lot to love about him. There was my thought that with the way that Garoppolo played this season and with the, what happened to Trey Lance, that they were going to probably have to look to the to either drafting a quarterback again or looking to the um, or looking to the veteran market. What Brock Purdy has done is given them the opportunity to say, actually, you know, we've got a guy here who can start for us. Trey Lance then has time to come back from the injury. We'll see what we've got in him when he's full strength. There's no panic on it, and we can go and throw money yeah. at Nick Bosa to keep him in the building. This so. is it. And the, 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 the account to that, a lot of people throw at you, but, oh, you, you traded three first-round picks for this guy, and then you, you started or you're having him compete with the guy who was the last pick in the draft. Wasn't, isn't that really awkward? There's one thing Kyle Shanahan does not care about. He does not care about things being awkward. He will handle any situation. And he just focuses on what's on on what's going on in the field, does not care about outside noise. He's made that very, if you watch any Kyle Shanahan press conference, he, he has no time for that. He's, he's, he's very, very Belichickian, he's Kyle Shanahan. He will not, he does not care where anybody was drafted. He does not care about awkwardness. He'll go with what he thinks is best for the team and probably, and best financially for, the t- for this team at the moment is to have both of them out there and they've either competing or just saying, it's yours for now, Brock, and we'll see where Trey's at when he gets back from that really rough injury. Um, and I think that's what will end up happening for the for the good of the team so they can keep building the stack in the deck around them. And you're not wrong, by the way. Like, you see, the way that he treats picks around running backs should indicate to you that he does not care what he spent on them before. He will make a decision on what they are worth to the team now and yeah. what the value is going forward doesn't care about being embarrassed doesn't care about what it means to him and look if they go and win a title this year or or go deep in the playoffs with the final pick of the draft there will be some people who go well yeah you wasted time on this that and the other you, you spent that th- those three first rounds and you just think to yourself who cares there's people who spend that every year and they don't get this deep in the playoffs we didn't even play the guy we got <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, let's look forward uh, quickly then to uh, the Vegas game this weekend, 9.05 Sunday evening UK time uh, so you'll be able to hear, you actually hear just the second half of it on TalkSport 2 because we have got live darts ahead of that but you can see it on Game Pass as well uh, and uh, we'll be doing updates and keeping you across it uh, I kind of, I don't know I just Jake, uh, Josh Jacobs having his career best season on the ground and yet it feels like it's a very up and down. It feels like he has those huge games, those huge like 200 plus yard games. And whilst he still has maybe a tendency to get into the end zone quite regularly when he's not having those games, those 1500 yards that he's got this season, it feels like they, if you look at the the game by game split, you know, you have that Seattle game, 229 yards, that Chargers game where he had 144 yards. And then he's not tucked 100 yards again since then, only 44 against the Steelers yeah. this past weekend, admittedly, in, in pretty horrendous conditions. 
I, I, yeah, maybe he's the first guy to break 60 this weekend, but I don't think he alone can carry them enough. And and Derek Carr, again, it's it's just too up and down. The, the Raiders just aren't steady and consistent enough for me. Um, not that I take any win for granted, but this feels like a team that the 49ers on paper should be. Yeah, uh, the, the Raiders are what the Raiders have been for a long time. That's extremely volatile. It doesn't matter whether they've been in Oakland or whether they've been in Las Vegas. They're forever up and down, and more often than not, it's been down. But they do have these what these wild swings in in a, in a season. Um, the, the last game of last season against the Chargers typified that in terms of how mad they they can be. Um, there's a there's a there's scope for it to be tricky. There's certainly talent in that team. Derek Carr looks to be at a particular low ebb. I didn't, I didn't pay huge attention to the the Steelers game, but obviously I watched it. Um, I've watched it Ugly. back. And with being, <laughs> Ugly is the best being, word for it. Yeah, with it, being, with it being the Christmas night, wasn't really one I was after the after the Niners one wasn't wasn't one I was going to stay up for in any way, shape, or form. Particularly with a four year old to wake up to in the, on Christmas morning. Um, but yeah, he's at a low ebb after that game. But he just obviously still has the talent to do damage, and they still have one of the best receivers in the NFL and Devontae Adams. So there's, there's a, a test for that second that we spoke about again. But there isn't I don't think there's going to be scope for them to be a balance there on the offensive side of the ball that the Raiders are going to need because I don't think their offensive line matches up well, obviously, with the Niners' defensive line. And I think that takes away their own game. Josh Jacobs is a very talented running back and he's going to get paid a lot of money in the offseason. But he can't. He singularly can't overcome the fact that I think his offensive line is a bit of a mismatch against a much more talented defensive line. It won't be any of his fault, but I think... The Niners' defensive line just dictates that matchup as it did with the, with the Commanders in stopping another talented running back in Robinson. And yeah, it's not had at no point have I ever been convinced by the Raiders' defense. That's still been an, an eternal problem, regardless if it's John Gruden, Bisbachia, or, or or Josh McDaniels. They're a, a team that's that's very much in flux. They certainly have the talent to be a lot better than they are, and that's why a lot of people were tipping tipping them to be in the mix in the AFC West, which again proved to be a, a cakewalk for the Chiefs despite everything. Um, but yeah, they're a team in flux. They're a team, the team that's pivoting to what they, they're about to pivot to what McDaniel's wants them to be. Because I think he's given them, the, he's given the first year as I'll, I'll, I'll try it with what we've got, and then I'm going to do it my way. And I think this, this off season, you're going to see it McDaniel's way, and that's why there's so many questions about whether Derek Carr's coming back. So maybe there's a, I don't know if the Raiders are playing at home in Week 18, but maybe there's a swan song element to this where Derek Carr wants to go out on a high. But I don't know, I don't think it's going to be enough. Like I say, potential for it to be tricky, but I think the Niners should have The Raiders are home to the Chiefs in week 18 of the season. Might not be much of a swan song. (laughs) (laughs) And I actually, I think Josh McDaniels, as much as this has been quite an up and down year for the Raiders, I think you're right. I think they believe that he is the guy to take them forward. They went and got the man they wanted. And actually... I think how bad it's been in New England on the offensive side of the ball has maybe helped his case as much as yes. what the situation has been in Las Vegas because yeah. clearly he was what made that offense tick. And, and if he can get his style of offense in, which needs more mobile offensive linemen, which needs a quarterback that can run his offense, like, yeah, yeah. I think that that's going to be a situation where we see a quarterback change this offseason. But Nicholas, I hope you've had a wonderful Christmas, uh, a very happy New Year. I look forward to, I'm sure, communicating on New Year's Day if, as we uh, choke on the fact that we've just made it clear that it should be an easy 49ers win and they end up making it more difficult for us, uh, predictably. But yeah, eight wins in a row, feeling good going into 2023, looking forward to the playoffs. Uh, it's been a joy doing this with you. So happy New Year, mate. And uh, yeah, see you on the other side. Same to you. So here's to more wins come 2023.
All right, we got Jake Brendel in the Niner locker room, and Jake, uh, Pro Bowl alternate. Uh, tell us, tell us. Uh, you know, obviously it's a great moment for you. You've stepped in this year, taking the lead at the center spot. It's, I mean, your expectations and making the Pro Bowl. What a year it's been, huh? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I at the beginning of this year, or even last year, I would have, I would have never guessed that I would, you know, be an alternate for the Pro Bowl. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very gracious of the opportunity, and you know, hopefully I can build on this for years to come. CFO says you're a leader on the field, a coach on the field. Um, I mean, that that's about, that's almost as high a compliment as a coach can give a player. Yeah, I mean, he's he's uh, he spent a lot of time with me uh, this year and also previous years. I mean, I've I mean, I've I've played with him, I think, six years now. So, um, you know, being able to be be around a coach like that and knowing what he what he wants from the guys up front and being able to kind of either reword it for someone that might not be getting it or also just being an extra eyes and ears for him out on the field. I think, you know, we we do a good job of kind of working together on that. Offense is cooking. You guys put 30 up on the on Washington in the second half. Give us a trait that you guys see from Brock that maybe we don't see. I don't know what you don't see, honestly. You know, um, I mean, the guy is who he is, and I, I mean, that's I mean, that's awesome, right? He's he's one of the first guys in here every single day. Uh, he's diligent. I mean, he works his butt off. So, I mean, I really don't think you guys aren't seeing much that you know what he's been doing for the past month now. So, Jerron Payne and Allen inside last week. What was that challenge like? Those are two of the best going. They're very very good players. You know, uh, we had a little bit of. Uh, scheme against, you know, just making sure that we can uh, solidify the inside of the pocket, make sure that they can't push it back on Brock, and, you know, I think we did a pretty good job of doing that. Uh, we got we got, we got got loose a few times in some of the protections, but honestly, looking at how good they are as a duo, I think we did a good job against them. Last one for you. Um, this week, take a look at the Raiders. Obviously, you've already looked at them on film. What, what do they look like inside? They're good players. Obviously, 98 is 98, and uh, I don't know if Chandler Jones is going to be playing or not, but uh, solid, solid front. You know the guys play hard. They uh, they seem like they're very gap uh, integrated. So um, there aren't there aren't a lot of plays where like someone's just you know not where they're supposed to be on defense. So that always makes it hard to get those like like those uh, chunk and explosive plays. So we just gotta go in there with the right mindset and get the win. Thanks, Jake. We're in the Niner locker room with Tabor Pepper, Niners long snapper, and. Um, Obviously, this team's playing well, mm -hmm. and give me the vibe. Give, you know, describe what it's like in this, yeah. in this, uh, um, this room. I think we we know what we have in the locker room as far as the guys um, and talent. Um, it just seems like one of those rosters where if somebody does go down, there's somebody that you trust uh, that can pick up the slack uh, in the meantime. Um, but yeah, it's it's an awesome locker room. Um, most everybody, you know, some some locker rooms, it's almost like guys are like passing ships in the night, uh, kind of just don't really acknowledge each other. But this is probably the most family environment I've felt on a, in my five years of playing so far. Now, the defense obviously is number one. The offense has probably the best weapons in the game. Mm -hmm. But the special teams investment in the offseason is really starting to pay off. You've seen it. You got Oren Burks, you got Ray Ray McLeod. Mm -hmm. um, George Odom is just a phenomenal. I mean, to me, that that investment in veteran special teams players has made a difference. Yeah, it's um, it's fun to see because when you have guys who, you know, 
know their impact on special teams, it permeates throughout the rest of it. Um, because every week we see film of George running down on kickoff, like his hair's on fire. If you watch him before every rep of kickoff, he's trying to pump the crowd up, because um, that's just who he is. He's, he's on all the time. Um, he is an amazing special teams leader. He prepares the right way. Um, and it, it, it's one of those things that kind of starts from your top guys and kind of washes down to these, these rookies who can now see a guy who puts such an impact on special teams and how important it is to the team. That's important for young guys to see. And, and that's what's so special about the guys we have in the special teams room. Tell us about yourself. Where are you from? Uh, it's kind of all over. Born in Illinois. When I was six, I moved to Oklahoma. 15, I moved to Michigan. And then with the league and everything, I've kind of just been everywhere. <laughs> who was your Who was your team growing up? Bears? or uh, Nobody really, because uh, when we moved to Oklahoma, my mom refused to let me be a Cowboys fan. Okay. So I kind of was just... God bless your soul. I just kind of <laughs> just watched the NFL, not really rooting for anyone. Right. But uh, yeah, I had to do a lot of like history. Uh, rundown of the NFL once I you know was sticking with the team and stuff because um, I honestly I watched college sports mostly growing Sooners. up. Sooners? Yeah. No, not Sooners. My dad worked for Oklahoma State. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Go Pokes. So. You know, Tate yeah. Martin over there is, yeah. they had a rough night last night with yeah. Wisconsin. Yeah, and one of our uh, EQ guys, Doc, he's a huge uh, Pokes fan, so. There you go. Yep. There you go. What's it like living in Oklahoma? I mean, I, I'm from California, so mm -hmm. I'm used to earthquakes, but I'm, I, I see Tornado Alley and some of these yeah. shows on the Weather Channel, and I'm like, how do people continue to live in, like, more Oklahoma? Well, like, so. Just get rampaged every couple of years. We're, where I lived was like 15 minutes north of Tulsa. And so in this early spring, the local news stations will throw almost like assemblies in high school auditoriums and it'll be um, tornado education. So I could just spout off like a ton of tornado facts and you know, if the sky's green, get inside because that's usually what you see before a big tornado hits. But uh, yeah, I mean, we used to have our bike helmets ready get ready to pull a mattress in the, the center bathroom of the house, like all, all that. I can tell you everything you need you to know actually, to get through. You actually um, through one, one was I mean, about a mile really from close. my house one time, and it was actually funny because it was when I was getting old enough to watch my sister, um, my parents could leave. And I think my mom went to run errands on the other side of town, and it kind of just out of nowhere, just boom, right there, because they can just happen kind of without any prediction. And I just remember being on the phone with her, and our attic door, because the pressure changes so much, was like slamming and closing and opening, just going gung, gung, gung upstairs. So yeah, that was the craziest one, but luckily it didn't get anywhere near like our neighborhood or anything, but about a mile off. New Year's, you guys play New Year's Day. Mm -hmm. Any New Year's resolutions for this upcoming year? Uh, the Niners had us uh, uh, filming some selfie styles, so mine was making the Pro Bowl in 23. There you go. Yep. How close do you think you came this year? Because I think you probably uh, Fan good. vote, I was number two yeah. overall in the NFL um, behind the NFC guys, so I lost a fan vote. But um, there's a lot of great guys all over the league um, and you know going into my sixth year next year um, hopefully I'll be in a pretty good spot. Did you know as a high school football player that this that you potentially could make the when did you realize you know what grade. I actually have a chance I could be pro. So well pro, pro took a little bit longer but in high school um, I was like my dad played college football so in high school it was like 10th grade and I was like fourth string wide receiver third string D end and I was like how am I I always thought you know oh I'm gonna play in college too like my dad then 10th grade it hit me I'm like wait how am I gonna get on a college team if I can't even get reps at wide receiver on JV right so uh, I had been long snapping since eighth grade at that point and um, 
kind of just took it seriously from there and knew I could get into college with it. And then um, once I was in college, probably around my sophomore year, is kind of whenever I decided to pedal to the floor and hit What's it hard. The key to it? What's the key to being a great long snapper? Um, don't aim. Okay. Just snap as hard as you can. Really? Yeah. And do you, is it, do, do you have to communicate something to the holder or the kicker or they're different? That I, can you can is it you snap and they they react to you or do you snap the way they like it? Um, there's ways you know you can tailor your snap for for um, your holder and stuff. Like Mitch knows where my misses are going to be, so he's not going to be as freaked out as if you know my snap is. One, you know, one high, one low, whatever. He knows where my misses are, so even if I have a miss, it doesn't look like it on TV. So we got each other's back, and if I make a mistake, it's up to Mitch to reduce that for Robbie, and if Mitch makes a mistake, it's up to Robbie to reduce that for the rest of us. So December, do you use gloves? No. Could oh. never do it. I see some guys do it. Um, two guys in the league do it. I, I don't understand how. It makes me, my release point has to be like way, way lower than, than normal because the gloves just stick to the ball so so well. Give me something about Robbie that you notice that makes him a pro's pro that we don't see because we just don't watch the game that closely. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know he's money on these kicks inside of 50, but... he's He has a more kind of overview role than most people would see kind of just taking care of the young guys and stuff like that mm -hmm. um, he's an amazing leader so I think that's kind of his secret sauce aside from kicking you're in a you're in a bar fight you can have one guy in the in the in the room Javon Kinlaw <laughs> it's not even a question <laughs> you didn't have to think that one not even a question he's not even here but I can <laughs> see about where where his head would be right, right, yeah. Right. yeah give me one trait of Brock Purdy that that you know that we don't know um, well, I'll never forget when I saw kind of the, I feel like everybody says it's kind of saw the cojones on him was, uh, I think it was against Minnesota this year. We were in the red zone um, and he was kind of rolling out and he stopped real quick and threw a touchdown pass or one close to it. But the way he stopped and kind of was just calm in that moment, um, you kind of saw it a little bit uh, this weekend when he when he rolled out and uh, shook that defender and was able to throw the, the pass away. Appreciate your time. Yep. Yep. Thank you. Well, very last thing. Yeah. Are you the best Twitter follow on the team? Oh, easily. Yeah. <laughs> Not even a question. We're here in the Niner locker room with Ray Ray McLeod and Ray Ray uh, Pro Bowl alternate. Talk a little bit about, uh, I know you're a team guy, but what does that mean? It's a great individual accomplishment. Uh, it being individual accomplishment is definitely a blessing. Uh, me, I'm not chasing alternate. You know, it's cool and all, but uh, again, it's still a blessing. Uh, there's more work to be done. And I guess that puts a bigger chip on my shoulder being an alternate. Uh, and I ain't trying to go to Pro Bowl, we're doing Super Bowl, so um, that's our goal right now. Yeah. Um, you've done an incredible job at fielding the punts cleanly, and that's probably, I think that's one of the hardest jobs in all of football. How much do you work on that during the week? What can you do? Like, if you're, if there's a young football player watching this for the first time saying, I want to be a return man like, like Ray Ray, what do you do to perfect your craft, just catching it and focusing on that concentration while guys are bearing down on you? Uh, having a checklist, going out there knowing uh, who gonna be where, what's going to be where, what to look for, and have know where the ball going to be and have your body there already. Uh, so you get, make good decisions. You can be able to catch the ball clean and not back and forth. You know where everybody at, you know, and then you can feel every, everything around you. 
Uh, but definitely having a checklist, going out there with a game plan. Same thing when you're at receiver, pre-snap on defense, reading, reading defense, reading offense, reading motions. Uh, same thing, same thing with punt return. Talk about the touchdown run, man. You hit that. I'm watching it on the binocs from the from the from the uh, press box, and I saw the thing kind of come together. And I'm like, man, if he hits that corner, he's gone. Mm-hmm. Talk, tell tell us what you saw in that run and describe uh, it for I us. I see my teammates uh, not just doing their job, but. Uh, I think an army truck could have drove through there, you know, and, uh, with Willie, uh, Mike, Kittle, uh, and Christian doing their job. And uh, I did my part, uh, get around the edge, make a play. Uh, my number was called, so it was time to make a play. And I thought, done, there was no play. Yeah, I mean, do you feel like you could step into that Debo role? Because, I mean, it seems like that's the spot that, that would have been normally for him. He's out. You step in, made a huge play. It was probably the biggest play of the game. Yes, sir. And I, I never called, made the play. Yeah. Talked about the Steelers and the Niners, two of the great organizations in pro football. You played for both. Com- compare them. What, how's it different? Uh, there's really no difference. You know, right now, I mean, obviously, the Steelers not winning like they usually do, like, on a consistent basis. Uh, and I know Coach Tomlin get that together, but uh, over here is the same thing. Coach Kyle and Coach Tomlin uh, are players' coaches, and uh, players want to play for them. They love them. They uh, they go to bat for them, run through walls for them. And uh, when you have a coach like that, that players love, uh, that coaches love coaching with other coaches like that. That makes sense. Yeah. Everybody in the room, everybody loves coaching with Coach uh, Kyle, and so. Uh, you just have a. It's easy. It's easy. To, it's easy to build around, you know. And uh, the chemistry in this this room, uh, our receiving room is great. Uh, quarterback room, you could you can could, could see it on social media. If you're not around, you know, Trey yeah. and Hurdy and Jimmy, they have they have each other back like no other. And that's how everything everything uh, trickles down. Give me a, give me a trade about Brock that maybe we don't know, but you know as a player playing with him. What what do you think of him? Give him give me something about him that stands out to you. Just brave. When I first met him, it was just his his uh, his boldness. Just like first time we're walking the huddle, y'all be quiet. I got it, like y'all shut it up. Yeah. And uh, coming from a rookie, you know some rookies don't have that that uh put their foot down type of attitude. Uh, they kind of hold back until it's their time to shine. But Brock took that initiative, like y'all, this is my huddle, like and uh and not no no cocky way. Right. And uh like I'm, I want to lead y'all and uh. You see on the field every day. We've seen this for preseason OTAs, uh, and I've been seeing it, so I'm not surprised by it. This team has stayed together through the fact you guys have gone through three quarterbacks. A lot of teams with three quarterbacks playing, especially good ones, might fracture or there be division in the room. I don't sense that in here. How has this team stayed together? You're one of the veterans. How has it stayed together? By chemistry. Everybody have each other back. Everybody push each other in one fall. The other got to pick up, pick it up a little bit. And uh, that's in every position. From, even with the special teams, when we weren't as quiet getting the job done like we should, uh, we've seen the defense being the one. Offense was starting to, to peak. Uh, you can't be around greatness and not be great. You know, uh, when, you, when you're around it every day, it's naturally gonna, it's gonna uh, fall off on you as well. And that's how it's been for, uh, I think, the team. Man, when you see. Defense doing what they need to be doing. Offense kind of like, okay, let's gotta do our thing too. And especially in the same well, and we all help each other out. In one fall, we all gotta pick each other up. New Year's Day, you're playing against the Raiders. Raiders Niners, big rivalry. Fans get really into it. You got a favorite old Niner, a, a Niner from yesteryear that that stands out to you? Somebody that when you think of put the 49ers, you think of that guy? Dion. Dion. Prime time. 
Yeah. 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 So those, those are fun years. Yeah. For me, that's what it was. Yeah. Are you Dion? Are you from that part from of the country? Florida, Where are you from? I'm from Florida. Nice. Tampa. Yeah. So you're a Florida State guy. Yeah. So I grew up in New York, baby. But I went to Clemson. So. Yeah. But were you your fan of Dion as a kid? Of course. Oh yeah. Of course. He's the Who's best. Not? Yeah, but locked down half the field. Yeah, and then T.O. and Frank Gore, who I'm close with. Uh, I mean, a few greats. I mean, of course Jerry Rice, but uh, sure. When it come twenty one. You guys I saw I wore 21 in college. Really? Yeah, I wore 34 and 21. I moved and played both ways. So Nice, nice. I, when I played defense, I wore 21. you taking care of the football this year. Really taking care of the football. What's the key to doing that? Uh, Focusing on it or talking about it or not talking about it? Preparation. Preparation. Uh, when you say not talk about it, I mean, it's nothing to talk about. You just got to go out there and do it. Yeah. Like preparation starts. You win, you win, on, uh, you win during the week. And then it shows up on the weekend, so. New Year's resolutions, you got any this year? Not yet, I'm writing them down. So. <laughs> I know one is get that ring. Yeah, So. what would that mean? What would that mean to this whole group in here to get that thing done? Uh, it would mean everything to this group, just to what we, obviously the quarterback situation, uh, having one fall. And it would just show the dynamic of this locker room. Like, Lumbo is really a team, not yeah. just one person make that team. Uh, and it'll be, it'll be a blessing, man. There's only there's 32 of us on one get that ring. And uh, I know last year, just them talking about I wasn't here. So that feeling of losing, I know what it feel like to lose. But when they lost to the Rams, uh, the NFC championship game. Right? Yeah, yeah. I know that's that's a heartbreaker, you know. Uh, from going, I think they were, like, fighting for playoffs and yeah. getting there. So that's a good job in this year as a team. Uh, you got a you got a Christmas holiday uh, experience. How was it? Did you have a good good, I did. good my holiday? Fa- my family came down from Florida. All nice. Them, so we just spent time. Get some get a chance to go out or somebody. No, cook? I cook. My mom cooked. Cook. Nice. Home, what home, was home, on the menu? Meal. Uh, my mom uh, cooked Jamaican food. A little bit. She's Spanish and Jamaican, so uh-huh. she kind of put a little bit of both. So, oh, nice, yeah. nice. Big group or just a small intimate setting? Oh, big. I got a lot of siblings, so they all came out. I love them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. We missing. We was missing like one or two of. But they stayed in Tampa. They got kids too, so. Okay. But what do you think of the Bay, by the way? You know, spend a year here. You enjoying it? It's definitely. It's you definitely like our cool. weather? I mean, it's not Florida. It's not Florida. Nah. Uh, but definitely, uh, better than Pittsburgh, and Buffalo, anywhere else I play at. <laughs> but yeah, of course you can't. You can't knock this weather, man. It just right now it's a little chilly, but this is not nothing compared to when you see negative two, negative nine on people's radars. So you gotta. You how gotta do you do that? How do you how do you want to hit somebody when it's negative? Nine. I don't be hit. So. Uh, yeah, you you don't want to be hit, but I mean, yeah. I, I mean, keep them from hitting just, me. Seriously, I mean, yeah. I mean, I might just run out of bounds, you know. Just nah, I ain't run out of bounds. Nah, <laughs> I ain't gonna do that. But definitely, I miss the mindset. Then you go out there, you don't really think about it no more. Uh, after once you cold, you can't get rid of the cold. Yeah. Last one I got for you. A lot of young returners go east-west. The guys who really know what they're doing, like yourself, go north and south and take it up the field immediately. What's Why is that so hard for young return guys to just master that? They always want to dance. They always want to kind of go east and west and make the big play where the veteran guys understand, get up the field and then make it, then bounce it outside. Why? Why is it so hard? I mean, I had a, a, a vet that really honed in on me. And who was that? A German Curly. And also Andre he Roberts. He played here too. Andre, yeah. And I saw, before I come here, I talked to him. Uh, and Andre Roberts. Uh, who, Two good ones. Uh, yeah. So I played with them at Buffalo where I was drafted. Uh, playing with them too. I really just learned. 
learn and became a professional, which I thought, me coming in, I already figured that was going to be my, my downfall off the field stuff, just being, learning how to watch film, prepare. Uh, and that's really, honestly, when it comes to preparing, going north, north and south, yeah. it's starting to get a feel. Having experience, you know, uh, east and west in this league, fast, it's fast in this league. So it's a time it's a time and place to do it. Like sometimes I feel like I should go east and west a little bit more, you know. Uh, you got to be kind of fearless to do that job. Yeah. Well, I mean, not, it's not, not everybody's cut out to be a return man. Yeah, you got eyes up, people running full speed at you. It's, mm, Seriously. I mean, <laughs> What's nah, the biggest, it's, hit, it's, what's the biggest uh, hit you ever taken on special teams? Biggest hit I've taken? Man, I got hit last this. week. I got hit last week, but I mean, not, none, none hard enough I can remember. Yeah. None hard enough I can remember. So. There you go. Hey, Ray, Ray, I got one for yeah, you. Yeah, go for it. So, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the, a big stat that's out there is that the Niners, the teams that play the Niners the following week, no winners this year. Yeah, except for the Chiefs. I mean, the Chiefs, I don't count because they went into a bye. But every other team the following week after playing you guys has lost. So, like, how much pride do you take in the offense? Like, how tough you are on offense and how the offense kind of beats defensive players up? Not even offense. It's our team. That's what I said. Like, our special teams is, like, a reflection of our defense. Yeah. Like, you know, you can kind of see it on film. And uh, we take pride in that because that's when we're wearing teams down. And, I mean, other teams that play out there should thank us at the same time, you know. Uh, but we take pride in that, man. All uh, camp, that's all you heard is. And I think that's why we was fighting so much. Because some days it's like offense is like, man, y'all chill. And then defense want to keep going, keep going. But that's why, you know, it shows up on Sundays. And uh, it's going to keep showing up. Okay, I said I got one. That was the last one. I got one more. Who, who get what get who or what gets you fired up to play? Is there somebody in here who talks before the game, or is there music that you like to listen to, or is there, what gets you in that mindset to go out there and play? And is there a guy in here that kind of gets the, gets guys going when they're maybe a little low, trying to get you know get the energy going, beginning you know before you guys take the field? Honestly, my son, for real. Yourself? My, yeah, my son. Your my son. son? My son, my little boy. My How boy, old is he? He just turned a year a few days ago, two days ago. Okay. Three days ago, something like that. 23rd, something 23rd. That gets so, you fired up? Yeah, when I'm home and just think when I go out there, he watching me. Like, yeah. And then, That's uh, cool. Alan Iverson. I mean, before the game, I watched film with Alan Iverson and just, to me, pound for pound, best athlete ever. AI? Anything, in any sport. So, uh, that's kind of my game, Rich. Uh, music, it'll switch up here and there, depending if I'm high or I'm low, need energy, it takes energy down. But uh, overall, AI is consistent in my son. Appreciate your time, man. Yes, Good luck to you. God Thanks. Bless. Check out at UK Gridiron on Instagram, at Gridiron on Twitter for more content from this show and also all the other shows that Gridiron do, plus their excellent magazine, uh, brilliant uh, uh, front page article on the uh, on the Dolphins in the latest edition. Well worth your time, well worth a read uh, and keep checking out the fine work that they're doing on social media. Thank you so much for watching and listening. This has been Tells from the Bay.